from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash Innsmouth BC. We hope to see you soon because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Welcome to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Guess what Jeff Bezos in his phallic shaped spaceship landed on my front yard and dropped off on my door. Uh, uh paprika? Yep, my copy of paprika literally got here like 10 minutes ago. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I got mine yesterday. Oh. It was um I ordered a used copy. Um oh, okay. and it was so funny it came with like the the Denver library stamps all over it. Oh, um, I love those. It's oh, kind cool. of fun. I was like, at first I was like, man, this is looks beat up. And then I was like, well, I only paid like chump change for it because I got a used one. Yeah. And then it was kind of cool that it was actually from my friend, the, my the library my friend goes to that lives in Denver. Well, that's oh, that's cool. cool. Right? It's kind of random. I was like, you got to just mail this to me. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Hello, everyone. It is I, DB Spitzer, here once again to talk to you about. Cthulhu Mythos, and as always, with me to my virtual right, Gretchen Brooks, David Heath, Farmer Dave, G-Chan. What's going on? How are y'all doing this week? I am well. (laughs) I'm a little holidayed out, but yeah. Yes. It's it's probably better to be over-holidayed than under-holidayed, maybe, but I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. No, we had like the wild, like um, up in the air holidays, and then like uh, some of my family members got sick, and then it was just like mm. we're doing like the scattered visit, and then we um, for New Year's we um, spent the day at Hollywood Theater essentially because we saw a double feature, the Snowden. Mm. They called it the Snowden um, double feature, and it was uh, a 35 millimeter of the showing of the thing, uh-huh. and then a 70 millimeter showing of the Hateful Eight. Oh wow. So, so got me there, and a like, friend actually were looking at that and trying to see what that tied in. Neither of us got that it was a snowed in. Well, that there's snow and the both of them star Kurt Russell yeah. and both of them have the same director of music, the composer. Oh, okay. So that's random. <laughs> yeah. But th- there are things, every time I see um, the thing in different formats, I, I always notice things that or, or think about things that I don't remember in the in the whole story. Like not that we're going to be talking about the thing, but just saying like 
the contagion rate, like who got it first and who was this? And I know that like that, that shadow that we see was actually nobody from, it was actually like a member of the crew or something like that. Uh -huh. But it's like, Ooh, who got, who got, a, who got, who got the thing first? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was like, that was, so that was cool. That's what we ended up doing. How very about you guys? Cool. Oh, uh, for me, it was very, very low key. Everything's been kind of low key. I was super sick, so I'm doing a lot of my holiday stuff next oh, no. week. Yeah. So, yeah, doing my holiday stuff next week, uh, except for the like the very intimate family stuff uh, that that we all took care of because we were all sick together. But yeah, uh, we had a lot of fun, uh, played a lot of video games. Goofed off, ate a lot of good food, but kind of stuck around the houses. We didn't want to get everyone else in the world sick. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Yourself, Dave? So, did the Southern California New Year's tradition, you know, in, South, in the South, they eat uh, uh, black eyed peas? Uh -huh. Yeah. In Southern California, eat tamales for oh. so I had tamales. Nice. Nice. I we had. We had the things oh. to make black-eyed bees. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we didn't have tamales, but uh, we did have uh, giant, giant turkey burritos that I made with uh, mole, which oh. were really good. And it made me feel like my kids were more mature because they ate them without going, this looks like poop or anything like that. So, you know, that was nice. Ooh, that was, is a parental win. It, it, yeah, no, no. It's like, oh, wow. I didn't have to argue with anyone. They're just eating their food. 2024 is going to be pretty okay, maybe. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's always, like, progress. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, enough of uh, my kids. Uh, so, yeah, what are we talking about this week, everyone? Hmm. We, are talking, we are talking about, yes, the weight. And in the middle part... Dot, 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 hopefully, because it'll be done by tomorrow. Yeah. I will be talking about some of the good things, entertainment-wise, of 2024. All right. That sounds awesome. And then we're going to be talking about uh, The Shape of Water, which everyone keeps telling me that's not Abe Sapien. And I'm like, I don't know. Performed by Doug Jones. Looks, it's a... Uh, Guillermo del Toro movie. I mean, the only thing that's missing Ooh. is the screenplay wasn't by Mike Mignola, but I mean. So I've got a, I have a different theory of who it is. We'll just oh, sure. It. But I think it was somebody else. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I, I, I yeah. I, no, I no, get well, you. I no, just think no, it's. No. Another, another character from fiction. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Another character. We'll, we'll talk about that. Yeah. We'll definitely talk about this in the future when we get to it. But yeah, so uh, this week we're talking about the Waits family, uh, Ephraim, Azaneth, etc., an, an unnamed mother, uh, <laughs> two characters from uh, The Thing on the Doorstep. So, Are, are, are we going to do that now, or do we have to wait? Hey! Oh. Hey! Oh. <laughs> you did not go up in 2024. <laughs> no. Man, I gotta say, I, I thought it was so funny the description of Esneth is like, or Asneth, is it Asneth? I think so. Okay, think so. so the description of her is like, she's hot, except for the fact she's got bulging eyes. And it's like, Ugh, like, what? 
Like I'm trying to think like, cause they were talking about her eyes being protuberant and I'm like, yeah. Oh yeah, no, that's, I mean, I would, I would probably not call that the hotness beforehand. So I think that that's to indicate that she is from Innsmouth. Right. From Innsmouth. And so she has deep one blood in her. Mm-hmm. Well, definitely. Yes. Yeah. Do we but ever I... get to meet her for real, though? Because, I mean, was she inhabited the entire time of her of her adult life? Probably. Yeah, it's that's Ew, a really, really hard one to dirty. say. Yeah. yeah. Or everyone, honestly. I mean, not, uh, not, not, not Ephraim. Wait, I mean that guy. F that guy. But uh, everyone else, I feel like, poor everyone. I mean, yes, yes. I don't know. I feel like it's very complicated story. I've re- yeah. I I actually yeah. really enjoyed this one. I just I just finished it. Um yeah. truth be told. And I I I don't know why I've seen adaptations of this um mm-hmm. throughout the sure. years of being part of the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, but I've never actually read the short story and so today I was like definitely sure. going to do that. And wow, what a this is a good one. But I think yeah. I really like his I like when Lovecraft this is when to me Lovecraft said his best is like his his insmithy, like this is the thing that when I think of Lovecraft, this is the kind of story I like to hear from him. Every you know, yeah. his other things are like a little like questionable at times, but this to me is like he's actually a good writer right here. Uh, yeah, Absolutely. no. Oh and, yeah. And I think this is also in ways his most personal story. Oh, you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here here's a theory. And we're working at all these people saying no. He wrote this in 1933. Mm-hmm. It's not published until 1937. It is literally published the first time two months before he dies. Hmm. Yeah. But the thing that happened in Lovecraft's life in 1933 is Sonia Green moves to California. Mm-hmm. And this is, with the exception of uh, the um, horror at Red Hook, this is the only story that I can think of that talks about a marriage. Yeah. It's only, oh, yeah. It's the only story that really has a major female character in it. Who I think, <laughs> I think looks a lot like a younger Sonya Green, except oh. for the eye thing. Yeah. So I think in a lot of ways whether he would admit it or not consciously, and I don't think he ever put this in any letters. I think this story is uh, Lovecraft working through his divorce. Yeah. Oh, well, I guess that would make sense with the whole different personalities and their relationship changing and whatnot. So I guess if you really think about it, like one, she must have been one aspect of herself at some point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because that's the woman that Derby fell in love with. But then he would right later, like, tell his friend that he uh, that she's changed and things like that. So maybe you're right. I mean, to me, that actually, now that you say that, it makes it makes it very clear. Yeah. Although I I do. So here's another thing. Lovecraft and Sonya Green were never legally divorced. Oh. Yeah. He didn't turn in the papers. He lies to her. 
she gets Brandon. married and becomes a polygamist and uh, a bigamist and doesn't know that until after he died. Wow. So, so there's a lot of questions. So he doesn't write anything this down. Why didn't Lovecraft turn in the divorce papers? And there's arguments that he still really cared about her. Another mm-hmm. argument is that, you know, he couldn't bring himself because that's not what a proper gentleman does. I probably wrong, but I want to believe that he loved her. I mean, he he did, and 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 love in the 1920s and love in the 2020s are not necessarily the same thing. No, yeah, they were both kind of older. I really think he did care for her, and I, in my heart, want to think, although I he never put it down, that this is him working out that relationship. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, I know, doesn't she get chopped up or something? Well, yeah, there's that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there, there's that. I mean, let's be real here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she's like, like slurry. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's goo in a basement that puts on a hat and a coat. Oh, she is two raccoons in a in a trench coat. Yes. Spoiler <laughs> spoiler alert, everyone. Oh my god. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I've said that ahead of time, but yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say, like, if he's working through his marriage too, though, he's all like, Yep, I took that lady up. <laughs> so here I am also getting Freudian. What's so that? Here I'm I'm getting Freudian. No, and, I'm, I'm I'm like I am I am locked into this. Let's I love this theory. And, and anybody who's listening, I do not have a psychology degree. I am not legally qualified to diagnose somebody who died in 1938 or 37. But <laughs> there's two stories where there are father figures. This one and the Dunwich Horror. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, definitely. Both of the fathers sacrifice their daughters in some way. Yeah. The other thing is the father relationship. Lovecraft doesn't know his father very well. Mm -hmm. He's like four years old or so when his father is locked up in a mental institution. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think that part of it, and this absolutely, we're going to have, you know, SC Joshi or, you know, somebody's going to come on and say, oh, David doesn't know what he's talking about. It wouldn't be the first time. But I think that the father figure might be, I mean, obviously Lovecraft knows how fathers should work. He's a terrible stepfather. His his stepdaughter like moves out like two months after they he moves in. Um, but I think that the father figure is sort of maybe subconsciously his relationship with his dad. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not qualified to, you know, but that's what I, that's what I get. I support this. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely an interesting theory. And he definitely, and not intentional on her, he definitely was emotionally abused by his mother. That's one of the things that destroys. So here, okay. And we'll get letters saying it wrong. But one of the things Sonia Green says is one of the big problems with their marriage was Lovecraft's never gotten over the damage that was done by his mother. Mm-hmm. Now we have a marriage destroyed by 
spiritual relationship or magical relationship with her father. Yeah. And there may, this may have all been subconscious. It may not have happened, but, you know, maybe Lovecraft was processing this in ways he didn't know. Yeah, I can see that. I'm, I definitely. Something I wanted to talk about, uh, and this is this is uh, going back to Azaneth's uh, appearance, the big eyes and the Innsmouth look. Uh, Ephraim doesn't have this as as he is not from Innsmouth. He's 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 a a wizard from elsewhere. That's right. He's the writer of all the books, right? Yes. All the books. Oh, uh, that's that's uh, Darby. Uh, or, oh, no, Derby's. Oh, Derby's the one who wrote all the series. Yeah, he's he's the yeah. one who wrote about Azathoth and all that fun stuff. No, but um, Azneth, uh something about her eyes. She has big, big, big eyes, and I'm like, at what point in time did big eyes become like fashionable in movies? And what time That's did funny. big eyes become fashionable in like fashion and whatnot? And I'm like, it it, it had to like be back in that period of time it may not have been like i don't know consciously kind of like a, a thing but maybe lovecraft really kind of was like i don't like these big-eyed ladies in my silent films hmm. i don't know it, it, it definitely could be um because we don't because lovecraft does see himself as this gentleman even romance or what he finds attractive outside of, you know, maybe traditional poetry or something, he doesn't comment on. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. That, <laughs> no, no, definitely. Definitely. Uh, there's an article worth reading about gender and identity anxiety about it's a review of the thing on the doorstep. I just uh -huh. I was starting to read it, but I, I got like lost and I was like, nope, I can't read this while we're getting ready for the show. Certainly. <laughs> I, I would have been like taking this in a whole different direction. But um, it's a it's an interesting read. I suggest people read it. It's um, it's from the the um, Lovecraft reread. Oh, cool. Very reread. One yeah. of the two. I'm not certain how they pronounce their thing, but yeah, um, I it is this. This is I. I definitely think he's working through a lot of things now that you've said. Yeah. Talking about his parents, talking about his background. I mean, I know like the the quick points of Lovecraft's life, but like I don't know like the deeper um, aspects of his life. But to me, the always hearkening back to sanatoriums must be like definitely working through his dad issues. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but but the, both his both his parents will die in the same sanatorium. Oh, well, see, there you go. And so he probably has like an uncanny like or not uncanny, but a an undertoned fear and anxiety dealing with like being around the idea of becoming having to become insane or whatnot. I guess that's often the theme in his stories, right? Yeah. Yes. And so that brings up something else. Sorry for interrupting. No, no. Lovecraft, whether it's true or not, Lovecraft believes that his father's insanity is caused by syphilis. Yes. Oh. And he is afraid. There's no evidence that he, but that's passed on to children. Oh yeah, totally. So, so this now I think about this. Yeah, that puts the story in a different light. 
Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, think about the whole like dad possession of the child, um, like mm-hmm. that carrying over from that. Oh, totally. Like there, there was an idea of um, illness being a possession. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, totally. And it changes your personality. And oh, yeah, yeah. Why not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, Lovecraft would never talk about this, even if he did. Well, feel that's because that people don't talk about this kind of stuff in general. Like, <laughs> I would yeah. think that yeah. that would even be considering he was a, he was not a um, he was a, he was a gentleman, and so probably didn't discuss this kind of stuff. Exactly. Like feelings and sanity and things. Certainly, certainly. Yeah, no, no. I mean, uh, something I was thinking about while we're talking about this is uh, Ephraim had a secret, and there was a family secret that was passed down through the genes. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, no, no, it's very much. It's, it's uh, his father ended up in a mental institution. His mother ended up in a mental institution. I wonder how much he worried about if he would end up in a mental institution and whether or not. Yeah, no, just all the stuff we just talked about. But. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of mental institutions, mm-hmm. <laughs> Arkham Sanitarium. Yeah, yeah. So this is, I believe, it's not the first time that San- Arkham Sanitarium comes up. But the first time Lovecraft has used it. Exactly. It exactly. is? Really? Yeah. Last time was in The Black Stone, written by our good friend Robert E. Howard, if I'm correct. Yes, that, that was oh. the first year. You know, it's so thing. It's so that's the thing that always messes with my head as far as like my knowledge of Lovecraftian lore is like the how much of this stuff like each different writer uses each other's stuff, and so oh, yeah, it's fun. and things you expect to be like synonymous with a person mm-hmm. is not always their work. Like I, when I was younger, before I before I was more knowledgeable about Lovecraft, I thought that the King in Yellow was a Lovecraftian creation because I had seen it through, the first time I ever saw the, the Yellow Sigil was through um, Call of Cthulhu game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I was I like, mean, oh, well, that's totally just like, all that's Lovecraft, not knowing that there was much other other writers that were in his friend circle and they worked mm-hmm. together. Um, this is one of those things. Arkham Sanitarium, I always had associated with Lovecraft. But apparently there was other writers who used it as a mnemonic device or whatever, or device like earlier. Robert E. Howard basically writes it in as a gift to Lovecraft in the Black Oh. And and Lovecraft is just, he is pickled, tickled pink. He just loves the fact that Bobby Howard, you know, put it in his story and and uses it because he just, to him, it really was a gift. Yeah. I wanted to say that, uh, no, all of the uh, Cthulhu mythos, all the stuff that Chaosiums fit together in this neat little box is really kind of fun. Uh, I, I mean, it has given some people the the misconception of what who's written what. Like, there's stuff that I thought Lovecraft wrote, but it was Frank Belknap Long. And there's stuff that I thought that Robert E. Howard must have written, and it was Frank Belknap Long. But <laughs> or Henry Kuttner or one of those other folks that uh, does some really cool stuff or like run across something that's, you know, in, on the printed page and be like, this is amazing. Who wrote this? Seabury Quinn. But yeah, no, <laughs> it's it's fun to learn about the Cthulhu mythos. I think it's fun. Hence this podcast. But yeah, no, it's 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 neat how it all fits together. 
and Azenith is of Innsmouth, like her family's of Innsmouth, which is from the shadow over Innsmouth, mm-hmm. which, you know, deep ones, the the fish hybrid people. Mm-hmm. And then we have Miskatonic University from various stories. We have Arkham, mm-hmm. uh, Massachusetts from various stories. The Pikmin family. The Pikmin family. Yes, Edward Derby, uh, Pikmin, or Pikmin Derby. Oh, yeah, totally, and that as well. He's a freaking Pikmin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's like, uh, uh, and the Uptons are mentioned more than once, but not like, uh, I think it's more like a middle name, but um, I'm, I'm, I got to click on Daniel Upton real quick to see if they mention who all he's related to, but this is kind of like, um, oh, yeah, these characters from this story are related to characters from that story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and remember, Lovecraft, you know, his middle name is Phillips, not Philip. It's his his mother's maiden name. Yeah. So he does that a, quite often. We'll put maiden names as middle names for characters. Okay. Oh, so, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, Daniel Upton is mentioned as having designed Miskatonic University's new administration building um, and its Pikmin Nuclear Laboratory, as well as Arkham's Polish Quarter apartment development. Uh, This is from Fritz Lieber's uh, To Arkham and the Stars. So that's that's official if Fritz Lieber wrote it. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, yeah, no, uh, a character that's been used more than once. Yeah. I like um, the story. I like these two characters. When we first talked about, I thought I got the Waitleys mixed up with the Waits. Just so oh, yeah. Know. Yeah, that's that's in a couple of all, days. I don't know the, weeks. and I kind of checked to see if we had spelled that wrong in our like uh, list of things we're going to talk about. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and there's some, there's some suggestion, and, and this is completely arbitrary, that he might have started writing them as Waitleys and changed yeah. it. Also, um, Robert Pierce has written and suggested that the Waite family comes from um, Edward Waite, who was an English occultist. Yeah, He's most yeah. famous because he, I think, did the art for the Ritter Waite right tarot deck. Yeah. yeah, Thomas right Waite tarot. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, there, there, there's been some, and I don't know if there's any real evidence battered around that they were going to be Waitleys, and then he changed it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, I feel like they're definitely not. To me, they don't feel like Waitleys in the sense of because wait, the Waitleys to me seem like um, rednecky um, <laughs> Yeah, but with like occult, deep occult knowledge. Yeah. But like super kind of gross, rednecky, yeah. And, and that's kind of why some people think that they started out that way, and then he, the reason he changed it, because he wanted them to be more bourgeoisie. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's a prodigious magical student from elsewhere. Um, and it's like, where is he from? How long has he been moving bodies? This is the thing I want to talk about real quick. It's like Ephraim Waite has been a wizard for who knows how long who knows what his real name is and he's somehow doing what Yithians do he's moving from body to body mm. um, is Ephraim Waite an ancient Yithian we don't know um, Could be. I haven't even thought of that as a rogue Yithian I like that but, but also 
Ephraim Waite marries a deep one, possibly to learn other magic about immortality, because the deep ones live forever. And, you know, he may have, like, married into... Uh, you know, uh, one of the uh, the the, the uh, Insmith families, one of the uh, rich Insmith families, yep. uh, in exchange for secrets, and that's why we never meet Asneth's mother because the fact that you know she is in fact a deep one, and maybe not even a hybrid, but just like a serious deep one. But I don't know. I mean, that's 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 a possible theory. Um, but yeah, Ephraim Waite, wizard extraordinaire i mean uh yeah <laughs> i mean he 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 made it to the end as far as we know yeah yeah and, and and you know it kind of says well you know is he gonna possess me you know that's kind of hunkering back to you know the the theory with uh lovecraft's father and syphilis yeah yeah Exactly. I'm. I'm. I. I think this is a great theory. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, another thing I wanted to mention is one of my favorite adaptations of Thing on the Doorstep is an episode of Batman Beyond. Yeah. Uh, where where uh, an elderly Bruce Wayne becomes a young Bruce Wayne. <laughs> oh. And. Uh, uh, meets up with Talia Ghoul, and I'm not going to spoil any more, but, I mean, if you've read Thing at the Doorstep, you can kind of guess some more interesting parts. <laughs> I'm going to go back and find that episode, just saying. Yeah, it's it's really good. It's really good. Uh, do, do do either of you have any uh, parts that you think are particularly interesting or adaptations that you, you find interesting? Um, there was a really good short... Um, film quite a few years back, but now I can't remember if it was if it was something that I viewed and hadn't made it into the festival. So I hate to point that one out. Oh yeah, yeah. there was a film. There was they tried to do um, the a more modern version of it. So they these two felt like um, frat brothers. Uh huh. It was kind of interesting in that way. And she was like uh, the girl was like kind of a Wednesday Adams looking girl, but with big eyeballs. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and the um, the Batman Beyond episode is out of the past. Out okay. of the past? Okay, I'll check that one out. Oh, I think one of the most recent uh, adaptations uh, is a a a Stuart Gordon or Stuart Gordon esque film, uh, uh, Burnt Offerings. Uh, oh. Last oh, yeah. at the uh, Lovecraft Convention, uh, two thousand yeah. uh, film festival, two thousand twenty-three. There was uh, suitable flesh. Which suitable flesh. That's what I'm. Suitable that's what flesh. I'm thinking. Not yeah. burnt offering. Suitable flesh. Thank you. Uh, which but, I didn't get a chance to see, but yeah, with Heather Brown. Neither did I. Thank you for always oh, being able to either. translate for me, Dave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, no, Ephraim Waite, uh, Asenath Waite, uh, I mean, the Waite family, they're, they're crazy. They're like, make the Adams family look like Ozzy and Harriet. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Anything else we want to say about this, this kooky family? I think we about covered them. All right. Cool, cool. 
All right. Uh, Dave is up next with uh, his his. Uh, his, his little bit, and then we will be talking about the shape of water. Um, uh, Emily, hint, it's, it's, it's a lady doing it with a fish man. <laughs> we'll be right. I was going to say whatever bull is <laughs> In Legacy Door, a lurker from space casts a shadow over time. We opened our eyes upon the human world. We found ourselves lying on an especially yielding bed in a room displaying scattered relics of their shallow past, tied together by more recently produced items meant to blend with the relics. Typical. A sensitive journalist dreams of unknown lives. It seems like every time I close my eyes, they get stronger. I can't even say the last time I had a normal sleep, let alone a dreamless one. An outspoken lawyer defends the suspect in an unspeakable crime. And that client was Jonathan Strauss, held for the murder of his daughter Abigail and her companion Harrison Reese. And a stalwart investigator tries to drag it all into the light. Some of the Reeses and the Strausses have been involved with something that seems to include an obsession with bloodlines and longevity for at least decades. Legacy Door is a weekly cosmic horror mystery podcast. An ensemble of actors tell a story, also available in paperback, Kindle, and audiobook. Available now. This episode is brought to you by California Tea House. California Tea House is a family-owned tea store where you can find some of the world's best loose-leaf tea and organic herbal tea blends. Like a fine wine, there is no comparison between fine loose leaf and common broken leaf tea bags. So, yeah, no, check them out. Check them out. They have quite a bit of pretty awesome tea collections. I'm a huge fan of their white teas. Uh, they have a tea club that you can join, but, you know, they've got green tea, black tea, white tea, oolong, that uh, robios and herbal tea. They've also got teaware. So check out California Tea House in the show notes. I want to tell you all about something. I want to tell you about a guy I know in a place. This is Dave's Corner of the Podcast. It is awesome. It's gonna go fast. It's not the interview pod. Ha ha. Hey everybody, it's me, Dave, and it's 2024, or not if you're listening to this more than a year down the road, and if by chance you're some alien race that has come and found our planet that we destroyed this year, and we've uh, seen that, you know, we're just a, you know, a smoking pile of mess... We apologize for the the rubbish and the inconvenience. But um, I'm going to assume that you're a human being listening and want to hear some things. So let's talk about 2023. I am sure at the end of this year, we're going to be seeing 2023 halcyon days. Well, maybe not. 
So, uh, but I'm going to talk about is pop culture and uh, entertainment. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it wasn't a bad year. I mean, uh, we got a Barbie movie, which I've heard is good. We got an Oppenheimer biopic, which I've also heard is good. I haven't seen it. In fact, uh, we're going to talk about the things that I did experience this year. Uh, and I'm not going to say they're necessarily the best, but they're for reasons that I will detail or what I'm going to talk about, because... Yeah. Okay, so I did see one movie in the theater, and it was amazing. Absolutely. And not only would I say it's the best movie I saw this year, the only movie I saw in a theater this year, but honestly, it's on my top ten movie list. And that is G-1, or in America, Godzilla-1. And... I'm so glad I saw this in the movie theater. And, you know, it is, at least at this time, it is only in uh, subtitles. And not only I, but several people that I that saw it have said that, you know, as the movie goes on, they just didn't realize that it was subtitles. It just became like thought. And absolutely, there was a couple times of, oh, wait, I'm reading subtitles. And the only thing that I can say caused this is just an amazing story. Is it a perfect script? No, but it's beautiful, maybe even because of Despite the Flaws. And, of course, it has Godzilla. And, and the Godzilla in G-1 is this sort of perfect blend of what Godzilla should look like. But at the same point, it is CGI, but it doesn't look like that terrible or... Terribles, plural, American versions of Godzilla. It looks great. It acts great. The actors are great. The Godzilla acts great. I mean, and it may not be on the screen that much, but Godzilla's never on the screen that much. And, and like I said, is it perfect? No, but I, I love it because of its imperfections as well as the parts that it is perfect. And one of the parts that is absolutely perfect is giving us what Tokyo looked like after World War I. When this failed kamikaze pilot returns to, um, you know, his, his bombed out part of Tokyo, I got a better understanding and feeling what that was than history classes that I had. I mean, is it 100% accurate? I don't know. Is it believable? Yes. Did it make me feel empathy for the people that survived World War II? Absolutely. Uh, and as they grow and the dangers that they took on after the war, which are not just this giant green fire-breathing monster, but he has to take a very dangerous job if he's going to support him and his new sort of newfound adopted family. The emotional part is as good as the action part. It is a great movie. Um, so there is this sort of idea, though, that, you know, that the Soviet Union and America can't put away their differences in the Cold War when Godzilla appears. And 
is that realistic? Probably not, but the story is well written enough that I bought it. And this, you can't have a Godzilla movie where America or the Soviet Union rescued Japan. For this to be a successful movie, Japan had to save itself. I'm not saying it does save itself, but um, stick out through the ending. Uh, so even with that sort of lampshaded, that Russia and and uh, the Soviet uh, Soviet Union and America sort of, or the West sort of, you know, checkmate each other and won't, and that Japan has to save itself. Well, it's a Japanese story. That's fine, and I love it even though that part may not be realistic. Okay, let's talk music, and by far. I think the best album of 2024 is the Canadian band The Beaches, Blame My Ex. Uh, I, like many American people, came across this. This band, literally, they've been bands. I mean, three of the members, three of the four members, were a part of a band, a pre, sort of a teeny bopper band for Canadian Disney called Done With Dolls. So literally, these late 20-year-olds have been in a band more than half their lives. But there really was sort of a blitz to push their music in America, and I'm glad I got picked up in it. It's a great band. They're coming to Portland in February. I've got tickets. It's going to be a great show. Uh, by all means, look at their live shows on YouTube. Uh, yeah, looks like I'm just going to be an amazing show. Uh, and the Portland show, it's only going to be 200 people, so it's going to be a pretty intimate show. Uh, their songs are very intimate. Uh, Jordan Miller, the lead singer, uh, had a breakup. And, uh, you know, Taylor Swift has got nothing on this girl. She puts it all out there. But it's things we've all felt. We've all felt disappointed with ourselves after the end of a relationship. We all feel that we were manipulated somehow by a, an ex-partner. And this music is just very intense. They, they won a Juno Award for Best Album. I think it was 2018, or, or no, 2022. They were Best, 2018, they were the best uh, new act, even though they weren't technically new or upcoming app, however the Canadians do it. And, um, and so, you know, but this, they really did let, get them in, in America. So a lot of people, myself, discovered them from this album. And they've consistently been on uh, my uh, playlist rotations uh, for the last four or five months. Definitely worth listening to. Uh, it's fun, exciting, and the live shows are just amazing. They have a little bit of advantage in Canada. Uh, Canadian radio stations have to play, 50% of the music they play have to be by Canadian artists. So it took them a little longer to break through America because you know, they got the home field advantage up there. But um, yeah, if you're like, and their music goes from sort of indie sleaze to alt rock to dance rock, uh, different songs, different styles. They've got some 70s style music in some of their albums but uh, yeah the beaches, uh, check them out because I definitely will be when they're here in Portland so another new band that I found uh, is Shut Up and Kiss Me it's, it's a cover band 
And they are from Romania, and 95% of their music is acoustic. But, yeah, another one, and you can definitely find almost all their stuff on YouTube. But, uh, yeah, you've never heard, you know, Sweet Home Alabama uh, until you've heard it with a Romanian accent. And, and the two lead singers, they have opera uh, opera singer-grade voices. Uh, just the quality, so definitely... Uh, another band that I discovered this year that I would highly, highly recommend, uh, Shut Up and Kiss Me. They don't do any of their original work, but every version they do, it, I won't say it's better than the original, but it's different and it's worth listening, uh, you know, and um, maybe even like listen to the original, listen to them. If, if you like uh, uh, a postmodern jukebox, uh and acoustic rock, I think you'll like them. Uh, so, kind of controversy in my favorite TV show this year. Uh, it's a documentary expose, um, and it is uh, Netflix, or is it Hulu? No, I think it was Amazon. One of them, you'll find it. Uh, Happy Shiny People. And no, I was disappointed. Not a single R.E.M. song. Uh, and it really goes into details about a Christian fundamentalist movement. What is it, a church? Uh, it's not really... It, it's a movement. It's, it, it sort of pioneers a lot of the homeschooling. Uh, and it was just an eye-opener. And even if you didn't grow in that world, I kind of grew up adjacent to it. Wow, it's, a, it's an eye-opener. It's not easy also. Um... And it definitely, there are some counter-arguments that may have been left on the uh, cutting room floor. But I have gone out of my way to listen to some of the uh, counter-arguments. They're not persuasive. So uh, the uh, movement, IBLP, and it, I, I, I'm, you can watch it. I'm, it's not going to always be easy. Maybe you shouldn't watch it all straight like I did. And, and it's not an attack. Some people say it's an attack on conservatism and it's an attack on Christianity. No, but it's a warning. And, and what happened when people kind of shut off, it just accepted what they were doing and accepted group think. Uh, and of course, uh, IBLP does very, they very blame, you know, Bill Gothard, who was removed because of some of the destructive things that he was doing and violations of what he taught. But it also goes to the, the Duggard family and really does, it doesn't necessarily, like I said, you can be a Christian, you can be a conservative and watch this. And yeah, you know, you could it might make you feel some things that you're not comfortable with. But those are people, I mean, you want to be a conservative Christian, that's fine. But what it really does, it shows some of the traps that some of these people in the past have fallen into. Um, and so, yeah, it's not going to convert anybody, but I think a lot of people who are dealing with growing up in high demand religions or who 
who are trying to get past the way that they were grown up in either way it's definitely definitely worth watching and it's really good for those who are going some sort of self-examination book two i'm going to give close to that and that book i'm going to choose as the best book this year is called cultish you know and i thought it was originally cultish like it's cult like no what it's saying is cultish cult's a language much like English or Spanish and, and it, some of the things that you can really draw that is that we think of cults we think of Jim Jones and David Caress and, and they're not the bulk of the cults other cult leaders think those people were obsessive dangerous you, just because you're not in Guyana or you know burning a church down in Texas doesn't mean you're not in a cult and I even said, you know, there's some positive things of cults. Uh, cults of personality talks about this, um, you know, spin class teacher who, who uses her personality to inspire her students to a healthier life. Um, but it goes through the, the basically the language of cults. And one of the other takeaways I got this is all cults. Cults of religion, cult of personality, supernatural cults, political cults, cultish jobs. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, why, you know, I'm too smart for this. Well, no, smart people are the ones that fall for the cults the most. Because cults, basically, all cults promise one thing. They all have one commodity that they sell. And that's bias confirmation. And smart people, as well as unsmart people, all want their biases confirmed. So, yeah, I would say definitely an amazing book, uh, understanding. And even though it's a rather deep discussion, some psychological things, it's definitely an easy read. It's a, it's a general read. It is by Amanda Montel. And, and I think we are all probably better off that she decided to write about cults as opposed to starting her own cult. Because uh, if she'd wanted to, she could have done some damage. Because she definitely understands the psychology of the human mind and groupthink. So, uh, best video movie, and video is a term that it was 10, 20, 30 years ago. Uh, one we talked about here on this show. By far, one of my favorite comic books. I uh, love the adaptation of the doom that came to Gotham. Solid. The art's good. The story's good. The acting's good. Amazing uh, adaptation. Changes 10-15%, but it, when it changes, it changes for a reason, and the story's better. Uh, I won't go too much detail on this because you know uh, Gretchen and DB and I, we all we did a show where we talked about a good 30 minutes about it, uh, and. Definitely, I would recommend listening to that. I recommend watching the show first, or I highly recommend reading uh, the uh, Mike Magnolia comic on it. But just, uh, yeah, I think that's probably the best, uh, what we'd call direct to video uh, material that I uh, uh, came across today or this year. Uh, comic books. Um, I'm going to kind of not necessarily be the best, but I want to give a comic, a shout out to a specific one that I want to think about. Pretty much read all 
uh, of the um, Titan book. Titans are the same people, you know, do 2000 AD, uh, which is you know, Judge Dredd. It's their big title. Uh, they have been doing for the last five, six years. I don't know how long, but for a while, they have been doing the Blade Runner comics. Uh, by far, I think the best of the Blade Runner comics is actually the Origins, which talks about uh, Cal Maldo, who's the, the first Blade Runner, and how he basically invented, fell into the position to invent the job. Um, but I want to throw one out. Uh, is uh, Blade Runner Love. Love, L-U-V, the character of Blade Runner 49. It basically covers her backstory. And I'm not sure. Uh, she's such a different person. Uh, and as we follow it through, I'm not sure if it's going to link how she became this sort of desperate to prove herself, tough, bitter, challenged character to, uh, you know, the big bad dragon, almost playful, confident in the movie. So I'm not sure if it was a different character that they just said, oh, okay, we're going to change it and call her this, or if it really is going to have an arc. And I love, like I said, I read almost all the Blade Runner comics, and pretty much all of them, except for Origin, centers around a character named Ash. That and uh, the Black Orchid comic doesn't uh, cover Ash. Ash is, we basically see her in her young 20s all the way up to now, I think she's, you know, yeah, it goes from 2019 to like, I think we're up to 2049 and she's an older woman. Uh, she's, she's a Southeast Asian, uh, lesbian, uh, cripple. So she basically, one of the ways that the Blade Runners control her is that they control this basically cybernetic thing that controls her spine. She can't walk without it. Um, as, and she goes basically her arc. And, and Ash is a fascinating character. A lot of the stories kind of blend. And maybe that's why I like Origins so much. It's this sort of new and it's not as rehashed. It, it, even towards the end, it kind of gets. Um, but I'm really excited. I want to see. I want to see how Ash, who, you know, this, this character who honestly, with the. Uh, right under Deckard, to me, as Blade Runner characters. I would like to see how her story arc ends, because it's going to have to end eventually. Uh, I mean, as of now, she's been on the job for 20 years. Well, not quite. She leaves the planet, comes back. It's, it's, a, it's a fang. It's a fang. But at the same point, so um, uh, I want to see how they take this character of love, and we, we know... Okay, we know that Love's going to make it at least into the 2049 Blade Runner movie. Um, well, I want to see how they kind of make this comic book character into the movie character. And, um, honest, I mean, and I think I got it probably because I, I, I like the Love character. I think she's a fascinating villain. Uh, she She's exciting, but... Uh, she's attractive. She's bad, and she likes being bad. That's not the love in the comic book. And, and in fact, she even looks different. She looks older, but her hair is different. I want to see how she becomes this other character. 
and because she's a replicant, do they kill this one off, bring in another one and say, oops, we blew it? Or does she change or do they not even address it? So yeah, again, another, another thing this year that I love because of its, yeah, because of its imperfections. Um, and 2023 was anything, but, you know, it was an imperfect year. And so that so some things that have, yeah, some entertainment has some beautiful imperfections, it's not bad. So, let's see what we're talking about next year. Um, moving on to the next part, just to remind everyone, if you like what you're hearing, like this episode, share it with people, subscribe to the podcast, find us on Facebook, we're under People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. We're on Twitter. I don't really check Twitter, so it's just kind of the automatic feed if you just want to listen to us on Twitter for some reason. You can find us on any place, any podcatchers that are out there. Of course, Facebook, Instagram, and of course, the YouTube, where this episode will be. And, uh, yeah. This part of the show doesn't have a theme song. This part of the show doesn't have a theme song, yeah. Dave and D.B. and Gretchen go to the movies. Hopefully next week we'll have a real theme song, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, hey, everyone, we're back. Uh... We're talking about movies, and we are talking about the 2017 Shape of Water romantic fantasy, Guillermo del Toro, one of my favorite directors. Uh, yeah. Um, 1960s, early 1960s America is when it takes place, and... Yeah, uh, what what do we want to talk about with this? Well, this was Dave's pick, right? Yeah. 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 Oh yeah, this was okay. a good one, Dave. Well, mm-hmm. thank you. You know, I I I love this movie, and and I'll go back and forth, you know, between which is my favorite Del Toro movie, this or the original Hellboy. Sure. But the original Hellboy is probably more fun, but this is by far, I think, a better movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So speaking of which, did you want to talk about uh, the asset being Abe Sapien? Okay, so Abe Sapien uh, being the asset, I just think it's funny to because it's it's uh, he, he's portrayed by the same actor who portrayed Abe yeah. Sapien, and directed by the same director, and and the costume is very similar. But I mean, yeah. Gilman in general is kind of the the what they're both based off of. I think the suit is really beautiful. Um, oh, yeah. It has to me like um, uh, like a, a fighting fish kind of aspect to it, like a barracuda, yeah. but also with like really exotic, like um, like a lionfish look to it. A bear. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. yeah. So uh, would you say a beta? Yeah, the beta fish. <gasps> yes, exactly. Like it has like those very beautiful blue tones, and then sometimes yeah. you can have ones that have like a little bit of iridescence. That like where he had that um, 
his uh what was it uh his bioluminescence yeah. slash magical powers <laughs> man this movie is so cute um i the first time i ever saw this movie i saw it with my mother and i remember thinking oh my god this masturbation scene keeps happening and my mom is sitting right next to me and she's totally weirded out by this I thought it was great that it was normalized, and I'm, I'm like, I'm just gonna go there. But like, I'm, I'm, I was totally excited about the fact that this was something like normalized. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom was not prepared for that. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, "I that movie. Why, why is she masturbating so much?" I'm like, "Mom, you know, some people they gotta you know, like rub one out before work." Makes it really stressful. <laughs> and and part of it as being. Mute and and the actress whose name I'm, I'll look up I forgot. Sounds she's gorgeous, but she does a very good job. As I think, saying maybe that she'd be overlooked by say the male gaze of the 1960s. Totally. Mm-hmm. Sally Hawkins, by the way. Sally Hawkins, thank you. Yeah. And and you know, Del Toro has said you know that when he was a kid and he started watching. The um, you know, the creature from the Black Lagoon. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a six-year-old. He goes, "Oh yeah, they're gonna get together, and the the monster's gonna marry the woman." And and he was was he in for a shock? Right. <laughs> so you know, um, so okay, here here's my theory of who mm-hmm. the asset is. And Strickland, the bad guy, right? Mm-hmm. The, the government guy. Yeah. He keeps quoting. The Samson and Delilah story. Sure. So, you know, in the Samson and Delilah story, something I think that most people, I would say most Christians don't know. He gets taken to the temple and destroys the temple, right? Mm-hmm. The temple is the temple of Dagon. Oh. That's in the Bible. And Lovecraft didn't invent the word Dagon. He stole it from the Bible. Yeah. Um, and, and in reality... It was probably a temple of onus, not that it was real, but never mind, we'll go off of that. So mm-hmm. so I think and Del Toro definitely knows this stuff. Del Toro yeah. knows his Lovecraft and his Lovecraft history. Yeah. So my arg my thought is he's Dagon. Or at least because <gasps> he said world, he's a god. This mm-hmm. world oh, is Dagon. you're right. What? <laughs> this movie just got fifteen times better. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. You ready you ready to get your mind blown? Yes. So at the end, her scars become gills, right? Spoiler alert, yeah. Yeah, sorry, spoilers. Sorry. And I haven't read the book, but my understand. so there were a lot of clues. She's oh, an yeah. orphan. She's an orphan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't say where it came. In the book that Del Toro wrote on this, it says that she was discovered at a harbor and that the, she was always had that since they found her. If she yeah, stayed you- gone, she's Hydra. Okay. Okay. Wow. Yeah. No. No. They they mentioned just briefly that she was found on the side of a river as an infant with scars, those scars on the yeah. on her neck, and then someone's like, "Oh, people can be so terrible to children." That's and, right. That's right. And I'm like, "Oh, those are gills." Oh exactly. my God! I've never that. Wow. That never <laughs> dawned on me. <laughs> I'm oh. terrible to watch movies with. <laughs> I, I just never thought about the fact that she could be like um, a guilt person herself that that's yeah. why she was okay that's why she was drawn to water I don't know man okay <laughs> I love it's, this movie 
Yeah, no, it's a crazy movie. It's it's Michael insane. Shannon is a bad man in this movie. Oh my yeah. god. Talk about like the worst, like incel, terrible, awful Grosso. person. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. No, very unpleasant. But you know, he's he's a government employee, his family. He should be white male, he should be top of the pyramid in nineteen sixties America. Yeah. And he's missing something as much as anywhere else. Yeah. Two fingers. <laughs> <laughs> that was the most horrific part of the movie is watching. Wasn't that movies. gnarly? Oh, yucko, yucko. But when he yeah. goes, when he's sitting in the car with the, with the, his, like the help, her boss or whatever. And he's all like, do you smell that? I think your fingers are bad. Like, I'm like, Ugh! gross. Yeah. <laughs> that was gnarly. Oh, man. Oh, and then I really cringed when they hit the um, Cadillac. I was like, oh, my heart. Yeah. When they scraped the Cadillac and crushed the side of it. Yeah. Because it was so beautiful and pristine and brand new. And then <laughs> we got destroyed. But every character was fantastic in this. Um, oh, yeah. Absolutely. No, no. I, I, feel, I feel like this movie was so perfectly cast. Everyone was wonderful. Oh, and her neighbor. Um, oh, yeah. Is, it, yeah. is that Michael Stolberg? Is that who that is? Oh, uh, Stolberg. Yeah, Michael Stolberg, I think. I don't know how to pronounce it's it. Richard Jenkins, who's her neighbor. Oh, okay, okay. okay. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm just... Michael Stolberg is the guy who plays the, the Dimitri guy. Gotcha, um, okay. But, yeah, he... Uh, I loved his character, the artist um, that was, like, struggling with his homosexuality and not mm -hmm. being... Him being also a fish out of water, yeah. you know, I just, and like the whole misfits finding each other and just like, oh, it's just, their relationship was so endearing. And he was so chill, even though the, even though the, the fish guy ate his cat. cat. Yeah. yeah. That also was upsetting. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I was like, no, like yeah. really bad eating the cat too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, and the the three primary heroes in this, you know, is a a, a disabled woman, an African American woman, and a um, a um, gay man. Yeah, three fish out of water. But yep. none of them would have voices. In the exactly. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. So the sim the symbolism symbolism just goes deeper and deeper. Oh sure, yeah. It's just such a beautiful, um, it's a mo beautiful movie, and I like that every time we kept cutting to the theater, they were playing. Um, weren't they playing Samson and Delilah? I don't know. <laughs> they, they were playing a biblical show. Um, I'm not sure if it was. I, I think it may have been that one. Or it may have been like the Ten Commandments or something like that. I couldn't. Yeah. I thought it was Samson and Delilah, but I I couldn't be certain. I thought that was interesting too. Mm -hmm. Wow, so much deep meaning. Yeah, this was a, this is a good movie. Yeah. yeah, and another thing they've said is you notice that um, how little use of the color red. Well, mm -hmm. like for like shows like sexiness, like when she after she had had sex with him. Um, which I love that, by the way, um, that, that her hand motions on how she describes how his, <laughs> yeah. um, but her, she was wearing red heels and she had like a red hairband and was wearing lipstick. And I was like, wow. So that was yeah. kind of showing her, like she was feeling herself. And one of the things about her character in general is that 
yes, she was meek and mild, but she was also really strong and powerful yeah. and sensual and romantic and things you wouldn't expect a person who is often portrayed as like when somebody is handicapped um, and portrayed in movies, they're not generally given a, a, a power or like um, having that kind of like interior strength. Sure. Yeah. You know, so I or thought they, that was well. Or used. they give, or they give people like a magic power. Yeah, but, but she didn't realistic... have. Like, well, no. now we know she actually has a magic power. But being that she's possibly a hybrid. Yeah, but that has nothing to do with uh, 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 being being uh, mute. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it actually may have to do with any uh, with uh, why she's mute, but it doesn't give her any magical powers in this movie. You know, yeah. there's. No, Octavia Spencer didn't have any magic power. I love her. She's my oh, favorite. She's, so she's like, mm -hmm. I, I, I love her. Like what, what she brings to, <laughs> like her friends. She, she is a tried and true friend, right? Like she is, yeah. she is like your ride or die friend. And oh, totally. Yeah. I think that's awesome. And I, I love their relationship um, with these two women, and I love how she, her, just like. Okay, just she accepts everything that um her that that uh she, that she brings to it. Like she mm -hmm. she accepts every aspect of um oh my god, what's Sally's character's name? Suddenly I forgot. Um, it starts with an E. Es Esposito, <laughs> Elisa, Elsa. Oh, um, she's not. I'm pretty sure it's Elisa. What's that? Elsa, I mean, I'm pretty sure it's Elsa. Okay. I just remember, like, she's often more called Esposito than she is um, anything else. Yeah. But I, I love that um, Zelda was, like, so, like, just, okay, we will make it happen. Whatever you need to happen, happen. Yeah. And was accepting of it, but would give her a hard time when necessary. Like, girl, what'd you do? And then be like, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was really really indicative of like of, of female friendships too i mean also is getting to see like that was the bechdel test in past like flying colors yeah and so this is again this will be known as the episode where david saw too much into things <laughs> but but esperito right and i know this common name but when i hear that i think of esperanto oh which is the universal language Gotcha. Oh. Which I would suspect that I, I have a feeling that Del Toro kind of maybe chose. Besides, you know, it's a common name, and it's a and it's a very um, and I don't mean this in a bad way. It's not a white name. It's not a. Oh. Maybe she's Italian. I I see uh, Italian or Spanish or. But. <laughs> I like when she cusses, like she signs like F U C K, yeah. Yeah. and he's all like, "What is she saying?" She's all Y O U. He's like, oh, "I didn't catch that." <laughs> what is he saying? She's saying thank you. <laughs> so good. Yeah, no, no, it really is a great movie. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, Shape of Water. I remember when it came out, uh, there was a lot of, a lot of, I don't want to say hype uh, in the horror community, but I remember there was a lot of people excited about it. And people are like, have you seen Shape of Water yet? And I'm like, no. And they're like, well, I'm not going to ruin it for you, but 
as 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 someone who likes Lovecraftian stuff, I think you'd really like it. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool, all right. And, and then I think like uh, promptly after that, like late night shows are like, in this movie, a lady fucks a fish. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so apparently I looked it up. Esperito Latin translates as placed outside or exposed. Oh, interesting. I thought her name was Esposito. Yeah, that's what I meant. I oh, okay, it. okay. I mispronounced it. No, just making sure, just making sure, because I'm like, wait, wait, wait. No, but this, I mean, I uh, the hype I saw for it was at conventions, which was kind of cool. Like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. on my way out of the con that year, I was doing um, like a panel. I was a monarch scientist talking about King Ghidorah. Oh, uh, cool. So oh, I nice. was walking... Um, out of the con and this guy stopped me and he's like have you seen the shape of water and i was like no and he goes do you want to and i was like yeah so i, I saw like a preview for it like a oh, like a nice. a trailer thing and then he gave me a mug that was a like a a, a heat reactive mug that when oh, you nice. pour hot water in it you could see the two of them underwater it was really cute oh, wow. and then i broke cool. the ding dang mug just this year oh no or last year yeah Well, I had fun. Cool. Yeah. I had fun watching this. This is a good movie. Yeah. yeah. You guys always have good picks. Just saying. Oh, yeah. Well, thank yeah. you. Uh, I really have enjoyed both of your picks. Yeah. Next next week, we're going to be talking about The Haunted Place. Or is it The Haunted Palace? Haunted Palace. The Haunted Palace. Okay. I've written it's it. It's Haunted Palace? Okay. Yeah. So I wrote it down wrong. It's The Haunted Palace. Okay. With starring um, Vincent Price. Ever hear of the guy? And directed, <laughs> yeah, and directed by um, Roger Corman. Ooh, and yeah. Haunted Palace is a title of a poem poll, but it really is based on a Lovecraft story. <gasps> Let Ooh, me introduce you that. to my Haunted Palace. That's my Vincent Price. I'm spooky. <laughs> I was going to say, that's what goth dudes call their place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I heard yeah. one of this Oh, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Next week, but I got kicked out of a panel to make room for Roger Corman to talk about this movie. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well. Yeah. And we're going to be talking about Charles Dexter Ward for no reason as well. So yeah. Oh, uh, is there no reason? There's no reason for us to talk about Charles Dexter Ward, the strange case of, or the haunted palace in the same episode. So. Okay. Yep. Get people find a way. All right. Awesome. Well, everyone, thank you again for listening to the show. Dave Gretchen, thank you so much for being here and talking about fish people. And quarter fish people, half fish people, I don't know. <laughs> glove, glove. Glove, glove indeed. So I was just thinking about how uh, two of the main, uh, main character from one story and main character from another story were uh, both uh, female fish hybrids or female deep one hybrids. But I think that's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I, I I don't know. It's like someone paired these two movies up together. <laughs> must have somebody. How that happen? I don't know. I don't know. All right, everyone. Thank you again so much. We'll see you next time. We'll be talking about 
Charles Dexter Ward, and The Haunted Palace. And we've had a fair amount of uh, fair, fair, fair amount of Vincent Price, I want to say, this yeah. year. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool. All right. We'll see you all next time, everyone. And Happy New Year. Bye. Good Bye. luck. <laughs> that was a good episode. Yeah, it was a good time. I'll get this out here. Catchphrase, glove, glove, everybody. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. It was like the dumbest. It's a, it's so silly, oh, but I cool. No, I love glove, 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 glove. Is like one of those things from a Lovecraft story that I think is so hilarious. It's like that is such the glove, glove is yeah. <laughs> And it's perfect, the sound of a melted body. Oh, certainly, certainly. All right, guys. I'll see you all next week. All right. right. Talk to you then. Bye. Bye. Eu tenho lá para mim, eu vou dizer que isto é